0: Hi, David. How are things?
1: Things are, they are what they are. And uh, I think things are okay for myself, probably for you. But I know that a lot of our people out there, our members listening, are facing some really difficult times.
0: So I was wondering if we could have kind of a speed round and discuss four major policy issues, maybe starting from the one that affects um the broadest number of health professionals and sort of drill down into ones that are more specific to our community. Because I know a lot's been happening in the legislative and regulatory arenas. And I just thought you know this would be a way to provide updates but also kind of fit together these, you know, help people understand how these four issues interrelate to one another. Sure, that sounds good. My list is um efforts to expand telehealth, um, supporting physicians with J1 and H1B visas. Uh, halting surveys and inspections and dialysis facilities and then if we have time revisiting sort of the status of the final rule on the mandatory model which most people think of as ETC. So those are just to give you a little bit of a heads up about um the, the four questions I'm going to ask you.
1: Those are those are some very good issues. There's a lot there for for uh, ASN members to think about. So let's go.
0: Okay. You're on the clock. Expanding telehealth
1: Spending telehealth. Okay. We've been talking about telehealth a great deal. We know that we've gotten approval to do all the MCP visits, both in center and home, by telehealth. The one issue and that you and I have talked about a lot and others at ASN in the last week has been the fact that telehealth is approved now for most everything that you can imagine. However, telehealth is strictly defined as asynchronous audio and visual. And not all of our our, our patients, not everybody can really do that. They either don't have it or they really don't know how to use it. And so uh, CMS has said, that's okay if you have to use a telephone. You know, we understand that and we are going to get you telephone codes. The catch is a lot of people think they're going to be able to build telehealth rates and they're not. And this is a difficult time for everybody economically as well as the health challenges and particularly smaller practices. What they what gets reimbursed for telephone is much lower than what gets reimbursed for telehealth. Um, and you're actually president of one of the groups that that we worked with last week to to go back to CMS in a letter from the councils for medical uh, specialty societies, right? Yeah, that's
0: right. And, and I think the point to emphasize is that a lot of coalitions if it's you know CMSS or the American College of Physicians I know um had a letter that was co-signed by a number of internal medicine societies including ASN and RPA as well as the American Medical Association and some of the other sort of larger groups um everyone has been i think pretty much rallying around these issues and I think that the clarification is the temporary na- na- um, nature of this so I'm just wondering if you could sort of highlight that for us
1: one of the things that most everybody here listening will know is that there are codes nine nine four four one, nine nine four four two, and nine nine four four three, and those are telephone codes. And they had been when the, when the crisis uh, began, they had been on the non-payment list. You could use them, but you weren't paid for them by Medicare. Those have been activated now, and you are paid for them. What what we have asked ASN and the other members of I think there were 41 other groups in the CMSS letter and 42 um, besides us in the CSS letter uh, asking for these changes is we basically are saying during this period, please make the reimbursement for those telephone codes to be on par with the reimbursement for E&M codes uh, for telehealth. And so that, that when you are really doing this work, you know, when doctors and, and are talking to the patients and they're having to use the telephone. Uh, but they're doing so to keep the patient uh, who they are already determined stable to keep them from being exposed and having to come into a facility um, that is really paramount so for right now we're trying to say uh, let's make this work that both uh, you've you've got approved telehealth and you've got telephone but for the moment uh, while this public health emergency is ongoing let's put parity between those two so particularly for smaller practices and also for people who are practicing in areas where you have a lot of more um, elderly and disadvantaged uh, individuals for whom telehealth is more difficult or more challenging? you know make sure that they also don't take the hit financially that that they may not be able to afford to take the hit and that's that's an and it's also throughout medicine.
0: okay, issue two supporting physicians on j one and h one b visas
1: okay this one is is pretty straightforward, and I think everyone can understand this. ASN and others in the Kitty community have gone to Capitol Hill and said, please help us. Uh, and we've also reached out to the various departments of government that oversee immigration. Please help us in, in, in this time of crisis to make certain things happen. These are for people who are legally here and who have the ability as, as physicians or, or other healthcare professionals to really make an, a difference in this. And so we've, we've asked them to do a couple things. We've asked the Congress to let State Department and Homeland Security know that we need to extend visas and other protected status for for physicians and medical residents throughout the rest of this emergency. So if your status runs out, you're you're okay to continue on. Expediting approval of visa extensions and changes of status is also very important. Uh, Continuing the H-1B premium processing option, uh, which turns around visa applications in 15 days. For the current kind of situation we're in here right now that is critical uh, establishing visa processes at embassies and consulates worldwide um so that others uh, you know who are who could really make a difference in providing health care are able to join in and come and also allowing those physicians and residents with the j1 and h1b visas to be redeployed and that's a really critical in response to the covid 19 pandemic As we see this move across the country and in different states and different places, the ability to move people we've made, you know, the government has made it okay for people to go practice across state lines if they're already um, have a valid license in another state. We need to be able to use everybody we can and that would include allowing these physicians and residents to be able to be redeployed where there's more
0: intense and there's a more intense need. So just to point out, something that I think is important from a historical perspective. And as we start to think about how some of these policy changes, you know, the two that we've just talked about, but also as we move forward to the the other two that are on our list today, um, how some things will be enacted, if you will, temporarily and then become permanent or how government changes as a result of of a crisis. Um, Before 9-11, the visa program was housed within the Department of State and after it was moved to the Department of, of Homeland Security. And so it really shifted, if you will, sort of how we think about visa and immigration-related issues. Um, I just raise that, because I think that's a very concrete example of a crisis, a response, and then that response becoming, if you will, a permanent shift in government policy. Do you see that happening, or how do you see that happening with, with telehealth or with some of the visa-related issues?
1: Well, I I want to just just look at your example just one more second here and I know we're uh we're going to move through all these issues uh, expeditiously today but when the when 9/11 occurred, the Department of Homeland Security did not exist. Um it is one of the biggest departments in the federal government now and so that was that was just 19 um years ago and it did not exist at all. Uh and it was created in the wake of that crisis. I'm not suggesting that there'll be a new Department of Health and Services, nor should the, I don't think there should be. But clearly, I, I think a lot of these issues uh, are going to be examined um, when we get through this to see what worked and what didn't work. Telehealth has been a perfect example of one where we have been talking about more latitude and less strict definitions of things, because we all know in, in the world of, of you know software and electronics, Things move very quickly, and so putting things in regulation sometimes can be very restrictive because we regulate something that, in a year, there's something completely different that you didn't anticipate. Um, and the same thing is true about immigration. Immigration has always been, a, a, you know, an issue that you know requires scrutiny, and we do, you know, want to adhere to safety. But um, we're talking about people who have medical degrees who want to come practice medicine. And we need them right now, and actually, even in times of non-crisis, we need them in the workforce. Um, so you could definitely see some of these things being expanded and, and eventually becoming much more of the of standard operating procedures.
0: So let me shift to the two more nephrology-centric policy issues. The first, which obviously would be temporary, is this idea of halting surveys and inspections and dialysis facilities.
1: That one is definitely more in the category of of something I would not necessarily see happening long-term, but for the short-term. Nephrologists and and dialysis facilities and and all the staff there have been doing everything possible to deal with people who have to go into a facility to be dialyzed or even come in for their lab work. Um, These patients, as we know, people with kidney failure, some of the most vulnerable patients there are in terms of comorbidities and what this virus could do to them so normally it would be normal operating procedures for a surprise inspection team uh, to come in and and see a facility and say we're going to do an infection control or a desktop survey right now that is a very different situation most every facility I I think probably in the country I'm, I'm I'm not saying that with a survey in front of me but probably most everyone right now is operating with a no visitors policy same way with hospitals um, so that when people are in those facilities being dialyzed, being treated, they're trying to keep them as separated as they can. They're trying to use um, their their PPE as judiciously as they can. Trying to keep everything clean. Trying to keep these people isolated. And right now, in that situation, for those inspectors to show up uh, in what is the middle of a very stressful, difficult time to kind of really could keep virus contamination from going on. Um, there's really not. In that facility, there's not really a a space for them to be able to do that inspection that's not going to come in contact with these patients. It's going to be, they're going to be moving throughout the facility. This is not the time to have people who are not essential to being in there, to be in there at the time that the patients are. Um, And many facilities are running um, shifts that are just for COVID-19 patients who are being dialyzed so this is this is really a challenging thing they also need to use the ppe which is very very much being guarded and highly valued right now so we're not asking them to stop this forever we're asking them to stop this now uh, we are asking them to stop it immediately and we are asking them to stop it through the rest of the crisis and then of course they can make an evaluation when they think that that, that we pass that point that
0: it will be okay and i should say from a tangentially related perspective, if we shift from the facility to the individual nephrologist, um, the American Board of Internal Medicine announced on, on Monday, April 13th, that they were essentially suspending maintenance of certification for all their diplomates, so the 10,000 nephrologists and then the other approximately 190,000 um, internists and other subspecialists. So basically how it's going to work is if your MOC, or your recertification is up at the end of 2020, You can continue through the process um you know continue to maintain your license to complete um, part two self-assessment complete the secure exam if they're able to to hold it in this in the fall because of course they canceled the spring ones and then you if you pass your exam would be recertified for another 10 years or you can delay for a year so they'll basically extend the deadline until the end of next year 2021 which will allow them hopefully um, for the process to be able to continue and those different steps to continue um, next year for people who would do at the end of this year. So really you know, there are some examples kind of in other parts of medicine for what you're suggesting. So I think it's really important.
1: Well, and I'll add to that because, you, you know, on the same vein, many, many nephrologists, many of, of ASN's members who would be listening to this, this podcast are right now are doing their in-center visits and so forth by telehealth. They themselves are trying to stay out of the facility, both so that they stay well, but also so that they don't carry the virus around. That's the whole purpose of the plan right now. So if the people who are actually the, you know, the clinicians who are saying, I'm going to remove myself from this equation, this, this physical space at the moment to help this uh, effort, then I think we can understand that it, we're not asking that they, they do this out of just sheer convenience, this is a serious issue, and this is a, a serious moment in which we really need to do everything possible to to stop the spread of the virus.
0: So let's, let's end on an issue that is really unrelated to COVID-19, at least from a policy perspective. My memory was that the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation had planned to unveil the final rule for the mandatory model which is better known as the etc on april 1st i'm just wondering if you could provide an updating about the etc and that whole effort
1: well the etc originally had a date of january 1 and then they asked for comments about extending it to april 1 and this was all pre-covid 19 and uh, we all agreed and and, uh, asn also asked for it to be delayed until april 1 to give morphologists more time to get organized for it um however as obviously a great deal has changed. Uh, we've not gotten final word from CMMI that's the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation just yet on exactly when it will come out. Most of us have expressed to them that we are, you know, we ASN remains supportive of the program and would like to see the model move forward, but this is this is not the time to be unveiling something that would require so much upfront preparatory work when when a lot of the clinicians and facilities are doing everything they can to basically hold it together and keep people safe and well. So it is not something that we want to see canceled. We do think that it probably would make more sense for it to be unveiled in its final form a little bit further down the road. Um, And I I can't tell you whether it would be a month or two months or three months, because we don't know exactly how this is going to work out over the months ahead. Um, and then when it is unveiled to make sure that there is a, a, you know, a reasonable amount of time before its actual start date, uh, for people to get prepared and practice to be prepared. So we remain, ASN remains supportive of it. But I think right now it's just, it would not be the time to launch a mandatory model in the midst of this crisis.
0: Well, David, you covered four major policy issues around telehealth, visas, uh, surveys and inspections, and the mandatory model, or ETC. Um, I really appreciate your bringing us all up to date on these important topics. Um, I'll let you have the closing word.
1: Thank you, Todd. And um, as you've said before for everyone, be safe, be strong, and we will get through this.
0: This podcast is copyrighted by the American Society of Nephrology, all rights reserved. All content in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be medical advice. This podcast should not be used in a medical emergency or for the diagnosis or treatment of any medical condition. Please consult your doctor or other qualified health care provider if you have any questions about any medical condition or before taking any drug. Changing your diet, or commencing or discontinuing any course of treatment. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the American Society of Nephrology.